0: Well, this morning's uh, sermon text—the uh, version that Ken will be preaching from this morning—is actually found in the bulletin. And so, if you have your bulletins, you'll see the version of Psalm 16 that Pastor Ken will be preaching from uh, this morning. And I'll begin reading at verse one of Psalm 16: "Keep me safe, O God, for in You I take refuge." I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand.
1: A thousand years after David wrote that poem, the Apostle Peter, after Christ's resurrection, saw new significance in the words of Psalm 16. In Acts chapter 2, Peter said, men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. Robert's hands are twisted and his feet. Worthless. Robert cannot feed himself, brush his teeth, comb his hair, can't even put on his own underwear. His speech is dragging, kind of like a worn out cassette tape. Robert has cerebral palsy. And with cerebral palsy, he can't drive, he can't ride a bike, he can't even take a walk. But his disease did not keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University where he finished with a degree in Latin. It didn't keep him from um, going to the mission field on five short-term missions trips or or teaching for a little while in a junior college. And it didn't keep him from eventually moving to Portugal all by himself to be a missionary. He rented a hotel room, found a A cook that would feed him after rush hour found a tutor who would help him learn Portuguese, and then he would go to the city park and hand out Christian literature, and in six years led 70 people to faith in Christ, including a woman, Rosa, who would become his wife. At a speaking engagement in the United States, Men lifted Robert in his wheelchair, carried him to the platform, placed a Bible in his lap, and the audience watched him use his stiff finger to open the Bible and turn to the right page. And the audience was, uh, many of them, wiping away tears of admiration for this man. But Robert was not looking for sympathy or pity. Instead, he raised a crooked hand in the air and said... I have everything I need for joy. I want to be like Robert. Satisfied, utterly satisfied with God, regardless of circumstances. I want to be like David, the poet king of Israel, who, like Robert, was satisfied in God. He wrote a whole poem about it, but it's not a bad summary of the poem we call Psalm 16 to say the main idea is, in God, I have everything I need for joy. That's not exactly where the poem begins, though. Verse 1 of Psalm 16 says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because dozens of psalms start like this and continue like this. The the poet petitioning God for help, security, safety. In fact, when I was much younger, I didn't much care for the psalms because I thought they all sounded alike. I don't feel that way anymore, partly because I read them now in a good modern translation and because I pay close attention. And in fact, Psalm 16 is not like dozens of others who have elements like this. Most of the time when these Poets of ancient Israel prayed, to. would repeat that petition in other words. They would flesh it out. They would talk about the the reason for their need. But here in Psalm 16, this one short verse, this one line is the beginning, middle, and end of David's request for help. After this, he shifts gears and says nothing else about his need for help but a great deal about the God to whom he looks for help. Verse 2, I said to the Lord, all capital letters, indicating Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, lowercase letters indicating my king, my authority, my Lord. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, David actually had a lot of good things. But he knew that they were good because he had God, the giver. David had robust health. He was a genius. He had a lot of talent, loyal friends, kingship, or if he wrote this poem early in his life, the promise of kingship. But he knew that they were good because he had a relationship to God, the giver. And so it is for us that what makes God's good gifts. Good is if, in fact, we enjoy them in relationship with Him. Prosperity is good, but apart from God, you don't know what it's for or how to use it. Sex is good, but only within the boundaries, the parameters that the giver, the Creator, has established. Heaven is good, but why? Because God's there. I've sometimes invited you to participate with me in a thought experiment. Imagine that God gives you a choice. Now, he'll never really do this, but imagine that God says to you, I will let you come to heaven where there will be a perfect climate, perfect health. Your friends will be there. No death, no sorrow, except you will never see me. How would you answer? Is that a good deal? David knows how to answer. Apart from God, I have no good thing. My joy is in God. Now, the next line of the poem may surprise people who think that you can treasure God and keep God's people at arm's length. That you can obey the first great commandment, to love God, but kind of waffle on the second great commandment to love people. David keeps them together, inseparably. Verse 3, as for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. One paraphrase of this verse says, what splendid friends they make. The holy ones in the land, in them... It's all my delight. Well, which is it, David? All your joy is in God? Or all your delight is in God's people? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to choose. In fact, you can't choose. You can't have God as your father, without getting a lot of brothers and sisters along with it. And a big part of learning to treasure God is learning to treasure God's people. Corporate worship, fellowship, prioritizing the church. I witnessed an interesting exchange in the cafeteria at Moody Bible Institute years ago. At the table next to where I was sitting, a group of students were making fun of the church. And let's face it, that's pretty easy to do. The church has so many flaws and foibles. It's especially easy when you're a college freshman or sophomore and you know everything. After a little while, one of the professors stopped by the table and said, you know, I've overheard what you're doing. It seems to me like you're ridiculing Jesus' bride. I don't think he would like that. And then he walked away. You've got to love God and love God's people. That's what David says in Psalm 16. We used to have a handyman who we really liked. He was pleasant to be around. He was reliable. He did good work. But one day he, he reneged on, a, on an appointment to come to our house and fix something that he said he would fix for us. His church in Gurney had experienced some devastating flooding, and he was spending long hours every day trying to put his church building back together. And he called us and apologized and said, but my church comes first. And... I think David would like that. David could write, apart from God, I have no good thing. And in God's people is all my delight. But not everybody finds joy in God or in God's people. Verse 4 says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. There are people who pursue joy who look for satisfaction in false gods, idols, other things than the one true God. And David continues, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Um, much as Israel's priests would occasionally sprinkle the blood of sacrificial animals on the altar or even on the worshipers, so their pagan neighbors had rituals where they ritually poured out blood And David says, I want no part of that. In fact, David was reluctant to even name these no-gods. But he reminds his readers, his fellow Israelites, that those who serve false gods will be sorry. If you make anything or anyone your treasure in life, you will regret it. Even God's good gifts are no substitute for God Himself. Health, money, human love, someone has said, good goods make bad gods. David utterly rejects these false gods and returns to his main theme in verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup, you make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. His language here recalls the division of the promised land when Israel crossed the Jordan and entered that land and each of the 12 tribes got its proper allotment except for the tribe of Levi. There primary work was not to center on agriculture, but on worship. And so they didn't get a piece of land. God said to the people of Israel, or the Levi, the the priestly tribe, I will be your allotment. I will be your inheritance. Now David wasn't a priest or a Levite, but he uses this terminology to stress that in God he has everything he wants and needs. Whatever else David has or doesn't have, he has God, and that's good. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Did we mean what we sang a few minutes ago? David meant what he sang here. In God, I have everything I need for joy. Verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. God guides, leads, counsels, even in the lonely, sleepless hours, even in the dark. God is everything David needs for joy. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. An older version reads, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Maybe that was the secret of David's joy in God. He was always gazing at God, looking beyond problems and circumstances to the God who's bigger than problems and circumstances. Looking beyond Goliath to the God who's bigger than giants. I always keep my eyes on the Lord. And the rest of the verse says, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The right hand, the sword hand. The ancient warrior would hold his weapon in his right hand and a shield to protect his body in his left hand. And if he was fortunate to have a reliable right hand man, that man's shield would help protect him as well as the one holding it. This is the way David feels about God. Now we who are not swordsmen or warriors might say, God has our back. God is good. God is satisfying. God guides. God leads, even in the dark. He is at my right hand. All good stuff, but then what follows are among the most remarkable lines in the Old Testament. David expresses what sounds like Easter hope. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. (laughs) David spoke more truly than he knew. Because centuries later, twice in the book of Acts, the apostles apply these lines from Psalm 16 to Jesus Christ. Jesus, David's greater son. It's not that David is talking about himself first and then without warning shifts into talking about Jesus. It's rather that that David expresses confidence in God in words that turn out to apply even more perfectly, more beautifully to the Messiah a thousand years later. Some translations capitalize faithful one, or holy one, since the New Testament applies these words to Jesus, it's better to see them first as David's expressions applying to himself, and then in an even greater way later to the Messiah. So great is David's joy in God that he can't believe that death will end that joy. So great is his confidence in God that David can't believe that the grave and the decay are the end of his story. Surely, he thinks, one who's in a relationship with an eternal God can hope for eternal life. And so he ends the poem, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. J.I. Packer said, hearts on earth say in the midst of some joyful experience, I wish this would never end, but inevitably it does. Hearts in heaven say, I wish this would go on forever, and it will. There can be no greater news than this, Packer says. Wishful thinking? Well, it might have been wishful thinking if not for the glad tidings that we celebrate today, this the greatest day in the church calendar. The victory that Jesus won that first Easter, he won for his forefather David, for himself, and for all of us who are united to him by faith. Because of the empty grave, we can know that death is not a wall but a door. Because of the empty grave, we can know that death is not the end, but it's just the end of the beginning. Because of the empty grave, we can know, as C.S. Lewis put it, that all of our life here was just the title page, and now we're in the great story that goes on forever and ever, in which each chapter is better than the one that comes before. Because of the empty grave, we can look forward to pleasures forevermore. I started out by saying, I want to be like Robert. I want to be like David. I want to be able to say, in God, I have everything I need for joy. And I meant that. I want to be. I'm not sure that I am. I want to be satisfied in God and God alone. The truth is, I have a wonderful wife children and grandchildren that i love a job that i love i'm healthy what 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 if this was all stripped away what about you are we satisfied utterly satisfied delighted in god i at least want to want to be So I pray for myself and these, my brothers and sisters, that you would satisfy us with yourself in time and eternity. Help us to keep our eyes on you always. Help us to mean what we sing. You are my all in all. You are the treasure that I seek. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be aught else to me, save that thou art. I pray in the name of the risen Messiah, whose Easter victory assures us of eternal pleasures at your right hand.